politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back to the Conservative Review podcast here at Conservative Review's Northern Command. It is Thursday afternoon. We are getting very close to the weekend, and I am thankful for that because we are all tired from what a laborious week. What an insane week this was. We're going to get right into it today. And again, you guys need to subscribe to our Conservative Review YouTube page because that is the way you will see the video graphics we're going to continuously put up. We're really expanding our capabilities here. We're going to have guests on as well. Some of our famous guests the last number of years. Aren't you interested in learning what they look like? Well, you're going to find that. So definitely subscribe to our YouTube page, like it, like our video, and uh, let's spread the word. Now, if you didn't listen to yesterday's show, go and do it. That was one of the most foundational shows we've done in really months. And if you want to get a flavor of what we're about here, that's a good place to start. Also, today's show is really an exclamation mark on what we talked about yesterday. How we have the worst, most avoidable crimes, mass murders taking place, and they are 100% avoidable because they're at the hands of illegal aliens, they speak to the core job of the federal government. And yet there is nobody in the Republican Party, nobody in the Trump administration, nobody in the conservative media talking about this. Having a national discussion about this. And today I want to speak about this through the prism of the rule of law. How it is that when it comes to Americans or when it comes to certain circumstances, when the government wants to enforce the laws, boy, oh boy, do they enforce those laws. There's no ifs, ands, and buts about it. They'll enforce them. But when it comes to American, or when it comes to illegal aliens, suddenly one degree of lawlessness begets another degree. And nothing seems to matter anymore. You know, yesterday we went through the case of this Billy Chemimer really one of the worst mass murders in American history, the investigation is still ongoing, happened in Texas, nobody's talking about it. And just last night, as I was finishing the final sentences of my piece and editing my piece that's going to be out today in show notes as well, going through the full timeline, explaining what happened there, how it was 100% avoidable, how there's endless loopholes in our immigration system, mainly because of a lack of enforcement, but we could use some tightening up of laws that allow high-capacity assault criminal aliens to remain in this country and harm people needlessly. And that's important to the discussion that everyone else is having now. If we're going to discuss so-called high-capacity assault weapons, everyone agrees that the most direct way of keeping us safe is to get to the bad people. Not the object, but the actual people. And that's what these cases represent. So I was putting the final touches on that column. It's a very long article, and I apologize for making it that long, but there's so much to say, and it's very involved, and each thing is important. And I found last night, from a simple Google search, the most another insane case 
of a illegal alien with a rap sheet that was allowed to remain in the country and he killed someone. And no one's talking about it. It was one local reporter, nobody nationally. We're going to break this nationally. We're going to talk about that. First, I want to talk about the fundamentals. Why should we pay taxes as American citizens if our government is not going to enforce the laws against people who come here illegally? This is not just the typical disgruntled mantra of, hey, well, I don't want to pay taxes because I don't like some policy government's doing. This speaks to the foundational, foundational job of the federal government to keep us safe from external threats coming in from the national border, not between the states, but nationally. That is the job of the federal government. And if they're just going to turn a blind eye to that, and downright empower them to sue us in court and give them benefits, why should we have to pay taxes? Why should we have to pay fines? You know, Madison explained the arrangement of federalism, federal and state governments, very clearly what he meant. In Federalist number 45, if you want to look this up, he explained it as follows. The federal government's powers, he said, would, quote, be few and defined applied, quote, principally on external objects as war, peace, negotiation, and foreign commerce. State powers, on the other hand, would be, quote, numerous and indefinite, unquote, extending, quote, to all the objects which in the ordinary course of affairs concern the lives, liberties, and properties of the people and the internal order, improvement, and prosperity of the state. The operation of the federal government will be most extensive and important in times of war and danger, those of the state governments in times of peace and security. As the former periods will probably bear a small proportion to the latter, the state governments will here enjoy, enjoy another advantage over the federal government. So there's very few things the federal government was created to do. All these internal questions of you know what we could do to improve people's lives, That's fine, and it's legitimate to talk about that. But that should be at a state level. The core thing at a federal government is to protect us from external threats. What sort of things? What sort of things were given over to the federal government? Roger Sherman, among the greatest of all founders, noted during the House debate on the Naturalization Act of 1790, first immigration bill, Quote, it was intended by the convention who framed the Constitution that Congress should have the power of naturalization in order to prevent particular states receiving citizens and forcing them upon others who would not have received them in any other manner. And he said that, you know, federal control was designed, quote, to guard against an improper mode of naturalization. And he basically said it was to prevent states from flooding the country with um, immigrants based on, quote, easier terms, unquote. Exactly the opposite of what's going on today, how sanctuaries are allowed to just harbor and bring them in. And, you know, we're told the federal government can't do anything about it. Justice Joseph Story, one of the greatest Supreme Court justices and legal historians, wrote in the 1830s in his famous commentaries, if aliens might be admitted indiscriminately to enjoy all the rights of citizens, At the will of a single state, the union might itself be endangered by an influx of foreigners hostile to its institutions, ignorant of its powers, 
and incapable of a due estimate of its privileges. Wow. <laughs> Think about that almost 200 years later. That's a big deal. Again, it was given over to the federal government not to flood us, to prevent states from screwing with each other. In other words, you want to control your healthcare, your agriculture, different you know, policies, fine. But when you're talking about the people that will create the character of the whole of the union, well, once you come in, you're free to go to any other state. So you have no right to do that. And that's why it was given over to the federal government to make sure they guard the front gate, the very front gate. There's 50 gates to states, but then there's the gate to all of them, which is the federal union. And that had to be guarded because immigration was inherently an elective policy. We have a whole lot of bad natural-born citizens that we're stuck with. Conversely, there's a lot of really good potential candidates for immigrants to choose from. So certainly there is no need to bring in anyone who is going to be a liability in any way, whether it's health-wise, whether it's financially, and most certainly security and criminal-wise. That is the core. That is one of the top reasons, along with interstate commerce, right? Because states were tariffing each other and it was just too much chaos. You had to have uniformity of commerce. Along with that, this is the top among the top two reasons we created the federal government, the Constitution, and moved away from the tenuous arrangement of the Articles of Confederation. James Madison, in a 1782 letter to Edmund Randolph, right? Edmund was... Uh, the first attorney general of the United States under George Washington. And he wrote to him, 1782 was in between, you know, it was an influx between the Articles of Confederation, you know, be between the war, but is still, we didn't adopt the Constitution yet. And he noted that a uniform rule of naturalization from a future federal government, this was five years before the convention, he noted there was a need for this, because he, he observed the problem under the Confederation of, quote, the intrusion of obnoxious aliens through other states. Same thing Roger Sherman said. He elaborated on this a couple of years later when he was pitching the Constitution to everyone. In Federalist 42, Madison said that giving the government the power over, you know, determining who the future citizens are solved, quote, a very serious embarrassment and defect of the Articles of Confederation, whereby certain descriptions of aliens who had rendered themselves obnoxious, basically, he went on to say, can force themselves upon the other states because they had already acquired, quote, the character of citizens under the laws of another state. We wanted people that would be acceptable only to all of us, that we all agreed to bring in. And this is why James Madison, in his essay on sovereignty, used the example of citizenship to explain how in a Republican society, decisions must flow through the consent of the people through their elected representatives. What was the example he gave the ultimate decision? Who to bring in? In the case of naturalization, a new member is added to the social compact by a majority of the governing body deriving its powers from a majority of the individual parties that social compact. Friends, this is the violation we have nowadays. 
our laws are never enforced. But the foundational laws are never enforced. Of why we have a federal government. Why should we pay taxes? I know this is a, an elaborate introduction to the criminal alien cases I want to reiterate. And I'm going to reiterate yesterday's case and go over a new case. But I want to introduce one more exhibit to our table of evidence here. I have a friend of mine who, um, whose wife is, uh, their, their family is Canadian, but, but she's an American citizen. They're dual citizens. So his brother-in-law is an American citizen, but his wife and kids are all Canadian. And he was brought in to buy a uh, big tech company in Atlanta to move there and get a job and move his family there. Someone made a mistake. One of the lawyers really fell down on the job there that was going to help him with the I-130 process. That's the form you fill out to get a spousal visa and, you know, a visa for, for your kids as well when you're an American citizen. And somehow they just showed up at, you know, the port of entry going from Toronto to Buffalo, I guess. And I think in their mind, they might have been given the wrong information that somehow you just say, hey, I'm just here for a tourist visa. And then while you're here, you adjust your status. And they didn't realize, but that was a big no-no. They Because they said, well, wait a minute. You filled out an I-130. You're, you're coming here to move. And you're, you're, you're telling me tourist visa. You're ineligible for a tourist visa. And they fingerprinted the wife and kids. Now, he, he could have come in if he wanted to. Obviously, you know, he was going to be with his family. And they kicked them out. And now, I mean, he was supposed to start his job here last week. Here's a guy who's an American citizen, his wife and kids, their only language is English. You know, they're, they live just across the border in Canada. Um, and he certainly would be a net contributor, certainly wouldn't be criminals or anything like that. And, uh, you know, they were terrorized. They felt like criminals. And you'll never hear any sob stories about people like that. And there's a reason for that. Now, look, I'm not blaming the government. The government is right to do that. Because they don't want people circumventing that process, even if you're entitled to a spousal visa, but come in on a tourist visa, and then we lose track of you. And then like, no, no, no. If you're coming for a tourist visa, you get a tourist visa. If you're going to move here long term, don't play that game with us. You got ahead of time, get accepted in that I-130 and get your spousal visa, you know, uh, and, and that's, that's your job. So either, either they fell down on it or the company did, whatever. I don't know. That's not the point here. But you see that even with harsh outcomes and harsh circumstances, the rule of law needs to be followed. And it's a good law. And sometimes, you know, there's people that aren't going to be a problem, but you can't run a country like that. You have to draw the line. And it's nice to know that when it wants to, our government will do that. Our government will, is willing to follow the rule of law when there's no political correctness. It's a white family from Canada coming at a port of entry, not illegally. They're showing themselves. They're asking permission to come in, and we deny it. Folks, that is exactly the circumstance that happened with this serial Kenyan killer in Dallas, except he came, he overstayed his visa illegally. 
He didn't ask permission to remain in the country. I just want to, before we go through the timeline again, and, and for some of you, this is going to be a review from yesterday, but I think it's worth it just to go through the case again, because so many of you have told me you never even heard of this, and it's still ongoing, the investigation. It's, and it's in Texas. We're all talking about, oh my gosh, Texas and the shooting, and people are going to turn it blue because suburban moms want gun control. When now, you know, more is coming out. He might have, the mother might have said something. The facts always come out that it's a known wolf. If it's a lone, a true lone wolf, we couldn't have caught it anyway. There's no criminal record. But I just want to say one other thing. You know, my wife recently was traveling from Maryland to, to Jersey for an event and there's a number of tolls. I mean, if you're in this part of the country, you go south, there's no poles, but you go north, um, tolls, you go north, there's tons of tolls, tons of them. Maryland, Delaware, New Jersey. Now, nobody gives a darn about that stupid Joe Biden, Delaware state. Nobody gives a rip about that state. For the stinking 10 miles you're in there to get north, they just harass you. The speed limit was always lower than everywhere. They toll every inch of it. So the easy pass worked for every toll, but suddenly we get a ticket in the mail that, oh, it, the, you didn't pay. I guess it didn't pick it up in the stupid Delaware toll. I wonder if they set the sensor settings purposely like that to screw with people. It was a $4 toll, and they charge us $60, a domestic violence fee, all sorts of things. We totally paid it. I mean, it, we, I, mean I guess it didn't render it, but you know, she didn't do anything wrong. And Again, I was thinking to myself, like, here I'm an American citizen. We, my wife, neither my wife nor I have any arrest history, criminal record. And we weren't trying to circumvent anything. And here these come and, you know, increase the fine 15-fold. And now they just warn they're going to do it again. And I'll just tell you, if we don't pay that fine, they'll come after us. There won't be, oh, I don't know, it's federalism. There's nothing we can do. It's in Maryland. Oh, I don't know. We might suffer a lawsuit. We, they're going to find me, and they're going to get me. The one time I got a ticket in my life was in um, South Carolina. I was going on vacation with my wife to Myrtle Beach years ago, and I forgot to pay it, and they sent a letter in the mail. and said, hey, buddy, we know where you live. <laughs> Like, you know, we know where you live. You know, we have an arrangement with Maryland. We will, they will revoke your license. <laughs> so, I mean, again, and, and, and I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. But I'm just saying that you see that when they want to enforce laws, they do it, and that's fine. But when it comes to people that are protected classes who should be the antithesis of a protected class, illegal aliens, suddenly we allow them to remain and we treat them as heroes, and we give them media rock star status, and our entire government works for them, our entire Congress tears their hair out over them, they get to sue us and sue our laws. We can't detect them. We can't track them down, even when they come into contact with law enforcement, not for a speeding ticket or a, or a you know, parking ticket, a toll, but I mean for downright dangerous things they're arrested for, and they remain in the country. I'm going to put here on the on the um, 
monitor so you guys could could see this. My chart, um, and thanks Laura from our DC office for putting this together for me, a nice timeline of this guy, Billy Chemimer, in, in, uh, in Dallas, Texas. So July 2004, this guy was given a tourist visa. Okay, you're coming from Kenya. Okay, you could be a tourist. That's a six-month visa. He purposely overstood it. And he was officially an illegal alien for almost four years. And somehow he was working. And there's no investigation. How was he able to work? Do you know that we passed a foundational law in 1986 that made a very painful concession? Reagan reluctantly signed that law because Reagan was told that the law now made employment illegal and that will end illegal immigration as we know it. That has never been fulfilled. And God bless ICE. I know a lot of you have seen the um, story where Mississippi 700 workers were arrested and now the media is virtue signaling over that and they're forgetting we had a deal, friends. We had a deal. You got your amnesty and we were supposed to in the future for everyone else end it. And we never did it. And we had wave after wave after wave of these overstays of coming through the border. And they were able to stay and stay and work and work. And we never enforced it. 10 years later, in 1996, they said, what the heck? This is not working. Congress unanimously passed a law to criminalize them and ensure that if you're here illegally for over a year, you are barred from ever entering even legally for 10 years. This guy should have not only been deported, but been barred from entering. But in contravention to our laws, they use the loophole, which is not really lawful. There's waiver authority, but it's not really designed for this. And this guy married, married. It was probably a marriage fraud, I, I suspect. Um, married an American citizen, and he got a spousal visa. And then this person who turned out to be the worst demonic fiend ever became a so-called legal immigrant when he shouldn't have been. Again, remember my case of this Canadian family or, you know, the guy's already American. The wife wanted a spouse a visa. They're going to come in and they were like, you out of here. This guy sneaks in. I mean, he was originally let in, but he totally thumbs his nose for four years. And then we find out, wait a minute, you are in the country illegally for four years. You're out of here. Oh, no, no. You're just fine. You're fine. I want you guys to figure out why you think that happened. As opposed to my example. Anyway. So he should have never gotten that visa. Where are the congressional investigations into closing the criminal alien loophole? How so many of these people, there's thousands of them. In addition to those that are officially illegal, a lot of people, they say they're LPRs. A lot of them were illegal and they finagled themselves into status. Who is closing those loopholes? Nobody. Not a single member of Congress, not a single member of the administration is talking about this. Then, as you could see, December 9th, 2010, he was arrested for DWI. This must have been a pretty bad situation because he was sentenced to six months in prison. Most of them don't serve, especially for a first time. But he was convicted a half a year later, 180 days in jail, 18 months probation. 
and 1,255. Now, right away, even though you're a legal immigrant, we have so many good people in this country. Drunk driving is so dangerous. It kills so many people, nearly 11,000 a year. And so many of them are illegal aliens. Because that's something we really, we really worked on in this country over the years. Other countries have not. And it's part of the culture to drink while driving. But the guy on his probation period was arrested again for DWI in Dallas County on October 30th, 2011. Right then, he should have been deported. Or at least, it's unclear if the laws do that at this point. But then we should pass a law. The Scott Gardner Act. It's not an active bill. It was Representative Sue Myrick from North Carolina had this a number of years ago. That bill would mandate ICE apprehend and deport anyone after two DWIs. If they're, I mean, illegals should always be deported, but legal immigrants after two DWIs. Somehow the guy gets out, despite violating probation, he's let out on bond as always. DHS is never monitoring. The locals don't, don't care. Never ask about his citizenship. Remember, I get a speeding ticket, you're gonna track me down. You have a guy in this country as an alien and that will determine whether he gets to stay based on the crimes. We're not monitoring the type of crimes. Fast forward the next year, July 29th, 2012. He's arrested for causing bodily, for assault, causing bodily injury to his girlfriend. He punched her, kicked her, hit her with pots. Police come to the scene and he posts bail. Now that right there alone is a deportable offense, even for someone with a green card. Should have been out of the country. But he posts bail. Waits indefinitely for a trial. Somehow they never caught up with him. Welcome to our criminal justice system. By the way, even without the problem of criminal aliens, just with Americans, there are so many violent criminals in this country, high-capacity assault individuals that consistently repeat their offenses, their habitual crimes, and they don't serve a day in jail. And yet these schmuckos complain, um, Daniel, uh, too many people serve too long in prison. Bunch of Teletubbies. Jeez. So he's out. Now, by the way, I just want to point out, notice in 2012, he assaulted a girlfriend. Well, I thought in 2007, he was married to a U.S. citizen. Now he has a girlfriend to assault that's not his wife. So that tells me once again, another case here, it, it, it wasn't even a real marriage. It was probably a fraud. And, and, and again, our government won't look into this loophole. We'll only look into loopholes that aren't solvable, that we already have laws in the books for, dealing with inanimate objects, implicating constitutional rights of Americans. We won't look into assault humans that we could totally get rid of because immigration, unlike the Second Amendment, is not a right. I mean, th there was the other case I mentioned, this um, Mackenzie Lubick, what's her name, um, was killed by this Nigerian dude who overstayed his student visa, almost a similar case. And he also married someone and then divorced her shortly after, got the visa, 
was able to remain here and kill that woman. Now, let me fast forward. Years after this guy should have been deported multiple times, ICE and DHS should have been monitoring people like this. You know I do something wrong, even a go through an easy pass where the toll doesn't pick it up or a speeding ticket, they'll come after me in another state. But in that very state, you could your whole presence here could be originally illegal. Even now, if you're legal still, you know, we got we should be monitoring you. No, nothing. Suddenly we don't have Big Brother anymore. This guy is now accused of murdering 19 people from May 14th, 2016, all the way through March 20th, 2018. So far, we know he's indicted for 12 cases. Seven more he is named as he's he's named in a civil lawsuit. I'm, I'm assuming they're going to turn into indictments soon. And then two more he allegedly smothered close to March 20th. One was the day before March 19th. One was shortly before that. And miraculously, they survived despite their old age and they were unconscious and they, and they identified him and that's how, how he was caught. Um, this is very important. If you look at the timetable. Even... Once the murder started, we didn't know it at the time, but in retrospect, he had already committed two murders. One in May and one in June of 2016. June 2016, June 18, 2016, Chemimer is arrested. Okay, he is arrested. Now, why is he arrested? Well, he's arrested for trespassing this facility this senior facility where the first two murders took place and now we know why he was arrested for trespassing he would and then once they got him they saw wait there's an outstanding warrant for you on the second dwi and the assault from 2012 10 days later he pled no contest but that's a that's a plea bargain but that's a conviction he was convicted on the original assault that should have made him deportable, even under current law, without fixing loopholes. Yet, ICE never knew about it, wasn't given over to him. There's no hand-wringing. No questions are being asked. Look at that timetable. This is unbelievable. It's unbelievable. What is going on here? Unbelievable. 10 days later, June 20th, he's convicted. He's sentenced to 70 days, but between the good time credits, the retroactive this, the retroactive that, it was only 24 days retroactive to June 18th, which means he got out July 11th, 2016. Folks, according to the allegation, according to the civil lawsuit, seven days later on July 18th, seven days after he got out of jail after just 24 days and wasn't given over as a guy serving multiple times in jail as an alien to ICE. He allegedly murdered Joyce Abramowitz. And he did them every few weeks. And if you look at the timeline, it's very clear to me that when they continue to exhume the bodies, they're investigating 750 cases. I'm sure there's going to be more than 19. 
and it will likely exceed the toll of El Paso. 100% avoidable. 100% avoidable. So I just wanted to reiterate that from yesterday. Then, last night, remember how I told you that you could have a case where an illegal alien political activist with a criminal record kills or rapes a number of people and DHS will not even put out a press release about it. I have to go and find it. And as of now, and let me check my email, I put in a request earlier. I don't think I've gotten back anything yet, even after me asking them about it. So ICE is forever having fights with these People, they go into local sanctuaries and the churches and the, you know, the activists who, who need to be deported. And the media says you're deporting a cancer patient. You're deporting the world's greatest citizen. You're deporting uh, the guy who won the Medal of Honor. You're deporting a Nobel Peace Prize winner. And ICE is sitting on the guy's criminal record and they won't put it out. There's no Privacy Act that doesn't apply to illegal aliens. It's internal policies that this administration will not change. This administration will not change. The only reason I know about it, I ran, I mean, this is, this is a big deal, and you're going to see why. This case speaks to so many loopholes and so many political arguments going on that we need all hands on deck to stop this. But guess what? Nobody in the national media reported on it. One brave local reporter, this is a rarity, got this information. And I did a random Google search. I do this every week or so to get more cases. DUI, fatality, crash, killed, arrested. Something like that. I didn't even put in a state. And this came up. This is from the denverchannel.com. It's the ABC affiliate, Channel 7 from Denver. Jacqueline Allen, great reporter, good work. Eight months after he sought sanctuary from a Colorado Springs church to avoid deportation, Miguel Ramirez Valiente stands accused of careless driving with a revoked license in a crash that claimed the life of a father of five. Now those who know Ramirez Valiente say he should have never been driving. It took people saying, quote, you need to say something about this to get that family help and justice. And that's what we, why we made the call, said a close acquaintance of a Ramirez Valiente who asked to have her identity protected for her safety. My heart broke for this family because this could be prevented. So she went on camera. Um, I don't want to, you know, obviously steal copyright, steal their video, but you could go to their website and watch. They have a three-minute video where they interview this um, person who knows, evidently they knew this illegal alien and, and, and felt bad for the family, and they wanted to come out and, and tell the story that this is the very guy who was a political activist seven months ago, and you're going to see the story in a minute. So whoever you are, if you're listening, dharowitz at blazemedia.com is the email. If you want to talk to me off the record, we could talk. But um, last Friday, and this is already five days old, still no one knows about it. Sean Buchanan, a father of five, was riding his motorcycle on Highway 83 when Colorado State Patrol troopers said another driver swerved into his lane and killed him. Quote, he was amazing, said his grieving wife, Kathy, struggling to cope with unimaginable loss, 
quote, it's trying to figure out what the new normal looks like when the old normal was so good. The other driver, Miguel Ramirez Valiente, received national media attention in January while seeking sanctuary at Colorado Springs Church. Basically, here's the story. This dirtbag was in the country illegally for 14 years from El Salvador. In, I believe, 2008, this guy was arrested at a traffic stop in Colorado, and they found that he was illegal, turned him over to ICE. This guy applied for a U visa, okay? This is one of the major loopholes that we need. Talk about the assault person loophole. It's, it was designed for a few people who are victims of crime to get a visa and not be deported because they're helping a certain case. We're now, we have, I had a case in Oregon with a child molester applying for it. They're now being shielded from deportation. So some stupid immigration judge closes the case because of that. And then he went on to have reckless endangerment in 2011, other drunk driving, domestic violence in 2016. 2018, last year, he was charged with DUI and has, had his license, which he should have never had revoked. All of that must have raised the ire of ICE, and I think it's only because of Jeff Sessions, he reopened a lot of these cases. And he said, wait a minute, we need to reopen this case. Immigration judge in Colorado ordered him in last October. He didn't show up, so he was ordered deported on December. This guy goes into this dirtbag pagan so-called church in Colorado Springs and, um, and says, hey, you know, you can't separate me from my family. I'm a good family, man. I'm a good person. I'm a good person. And CNN picks it up and they run with it. He held a press conference in that church in January. Now, seven months later, he killed a father of five who was moving his family. He was moving his motorcycle and he was going to pick them up. I see in the picture, there's two black children. So that means that they likely adopted two kids in addition to looks like what they have three of their own kids. No father to support them now. I don't know if the wife even worked or whatever. He has no one to turn to. This immigrant activist who was ordered deported, ordered deported, was allowed to stay and killed another person. And it, no one, I would have never known about it. It's been five days. And I'm going to have an article out today. I'm going to try to get it to as many people in this stupid administration as I can. I'm going to put up on the screen here um, a GoFundMe for the Buchanan family. Here's another point people don't realize. Someone tweeted at me because Laura Ingram retweeted my GoFundMe pitch. They're like, Laura and Daniel, are you going to donate to the El Paso victims? And they're missing the point. It's terrible what happened to them. The, it's hard to help the, you know, the, the, just the personal loss. But in terms of financial help, which is what a GoFundMe is for, the, they are going to, believe me, they're going to have every lever of government NGOs working for them. These people have nobody telling their story. One local reporter, because someone reached out to them. This happens every day. But here's the thing. The epidemic of illegal alien drunk driving. They don't have insurance. So they don't even recover the money. And this is when there's no fatality. Just dealing with the loss of the car. Who is talking about these families? Where is the action from Congress? 
to help victims of illegal alien crime because they don't because the perpetrators don't have insurance with these car accidents. I call upon members to introduce a bill and I'm going to um, pitch it to them. AUSC 1324 D. Trump administration is finally promising to enforce this. Illegal aliens who do not depart when they're ordered to do so are supposed to pay a fine. They need to create a victim's fund funded by those fines for this situation. And this is exactly what happened. A guy who was ordered deported and had a previous criminal record. So this speaks to a bunch of things. Nobody's looking out for these victims, particularly these type of victims. The UVs of fraud. The fact that so many of these celebrities that go on camera have massive criminal records. And ICE will not put it out. And then they were proven right and the guy kills someone and they still don't put out a press release. To this hour. To this minute. I'm the only one picking it up. And then. This sanctuary church business. Oh, we're good moral people. No, you're not. You're a bunch of bastards. You are a bunch of pagan fools. Hey, at least if you're going to thwart the law, at least do a criminal background check on these guys. So you're not harboring those guys, too. But then again, lawlessness begets lawlessness. When you don't enforce the sovereignty laws, which we have every right to enforce. Then it's more lawlessness. And then there's the final point, which is. The separation business. So you could separate American families permanently in the grave for not enforcing baseline laws. Because the desires for them not to be separated temporarily. Trump our desires, the violation of the social compact we spoke about. And it's their fault. They're the ones who broke into our house. And and then each one lawlessness begets another one. We don't deport them. So then they stay long enough to have an anchor baby. Then we don't enforce our constitution and our case law, which is birthright citizenship is only if you have permission to reside here. So we give anchor baby status and it's like, well, if the kids are here, you can't deport the parent, even a criminal alien. That's the new shtick. That's the new business here. Unbelievable. And they're doing this with the workplace enforcement in Mississippi, the 700 deported. They're trying to get them out. Some of them were released because we don't have enough detention space because nobody in Congress is forcing this. Where is the voice? And I wake up today and I expected Trump to tweet about what I sent around with the Chemimer case, the Kenyan fiend, the pillow guy. No, he's tweeting about letting out Rod Blagojevich, whatever his name is, the Democrat. Yeah, we're going to fall on our sword for a Democrat. I don't know what to tell you, folks. I have a lot more, but I got to run. So I'm just going to say this show is dedicated to Sean Buchanan's memory. No one else is going to pick up on this, as well as the following 19 victims of the Kenyan pillow attacker. Joyce Abramowitz, Mary Brooks, Minnie Campbell, Ann Conklin, Leah Corkin, Rosemary Curtis, Glenna Day, Norma French, Doris Gleason, Lutai Harris, Carolyn McPhee, Miriam Nelson, Phyllis Payne, Phoebe Perry, Juanita Purdy, Solomon Spring, Doris Wasserman, Margaret, Margaret uh, White, and Martha Williams. 
people who ranged in age from 75 to 94 years old, smothered with a pillow. To this day, no one's talking about it. Email me at dhorowitz at blazemedia.com if you have a story. We're going to report on it. We're going to force action. We are going to force a change in the loopholes that directly address bad people. And yeah, tomorrow I'm going to talk about this more if we have time. Not just illegal aliens, that's the most redressable, but even, I mean, American citizens. What is it with these people with the 20 arrests that are out all the time, and yet the political class thinks we lock people up for too long? This is the unvarnished truth you will get nowhere else. This is why you need to subscribe to the, our conservative review channel here, the conservative review podcast at iTunes, Stitcher, but particularly subscribe to the YouTube channel, like our videos, send this to every one of your friends and relatives. Let's get the truth out. As forgotten American taxpayers, we don't matter to our government. Really, we shouldn't even have to pay taxes if this is the case, but let's make our voices be heard. God bless you all. God bless the memory of all those who died needlessly because government refuses to enforce our most foundational laws, sitting at the nexus of the foundation and the founding of this very federal government. Mm -hmm.